One of the most frightening moments in my life happened when I was a seminarian up in Maryland. There was one day where I was praying in the uh, main church on campus in adoration, which happened every Sunday. We would do this uh, before we would pray evening prayer together as a seminary community. And we had a beautiful uh, church uh, on campus that uh, was mostly secluded. I mean, we were, it was a small university in the middle of nowhere, and there wasn't a whole lot of visitors. So it was either seminarians or students that would typically be in this church. And I was praying in adoration. There's about 15 other guys, perhaps interspersed throughout the church. And I noticed that as I was praying, that there was this man who was kind of standing by the stained glass windows, looking at the stained glass windows. And this man was kind of dressed kind of like in these long, like robe-like clothing. And he had long brown hair. And I couldn't help but think, you know, this guy kind of looks like Jesus. He's kind of like dressed like Jesus, almost as if he was like preparing for a passion play and he was wearing the costumes and he grew his hair out. He just looked like Jesus. Well, he starts to kind of walk around the church and look at the different, uh, the different stained glass windows, but he's pacing and he's, he's kind of pacing and he's just looking a little suspicious. And of course, I'm sitting way in the back. Uh, that's just where I, what I like to sit. And so I'm sitting almost in the last pew. And so, you know, as he's walking around the church, I just can't help but keep watching him. And I'm wondering, what is he doing? It's just odd, first of all, that he's here in the first place because we don't get any visits. It's just us and the students usually. And he's dressed odd and he's acting odd. Jesus is clearly right here in the, in the Blessed Sacrament during adoration, and seminarians are clearly either kneeling or at least sitting, but we're all focused on the altar, and here's this man pacing, and he, he'll go to one side, and then he'll go all the way to the back, and he'll go to the other side, and sure enough, and I, 20 minutes goes by, and I'm not praying, I'm just watching this dude, and I'm thinking in my head, what's going to happen, and what am I going to do if something happens? Because with great reverence here, this was around the same time where unfortunate things were happening in some churches around the nation. You might remember that a couple years ago, about five or so years ago. So I was, I was alert. I was aware. I'm paying attention, and I don't want anything um, unfortunate to happen. So I'm going through my game plan, and he slowly but surely creeps up, and then he starts to get right in front right here, and he walks real slowly and gets right in front of the Blessed Sacrament, and he turns around and faces us. And my heart is dropping because now he's facing us. He's in front of Jesus in the blessed sacrament. And he begins to speak. And he says, and he opens up his hands like this. This is what he does. He says, brothers, I have come. I am the one. Okay, so he's the one. It's Jesus' second coming. It's, it's now here. The end of the world has come. And he chose Mount St. Mary's Chapel to begin his parousia. Um, but nonetheless, I was still very nervous because I don't know what he's going to do next. I don't know if his hands are going to go towards his pockets. He's facing us, and we are just 
kind of helpless in this church and we don't know what to do. So I immediately, uh, I'm in the back, so I'm in, I'm in a position where I'm able to pull out my phone and I call campus security. And um, there's a couple of seminarians in the front that immediately stand up together and they approach him together as a group um, with a great smile on their face. And they say, um, I don't know what they say because I can't hear, I'm in the back. But anyway, they, they kind of escort him to the side and they're taking him into a conversation and, and that conversation eventually makes its way outside the door as a group. And then eventually campus security comes, they investigate the guy. He wasn't all there. He was kind of, I mean, clearly he wasn't all there. Um, I don't know if his intentions were to harm or not to harm, but what I do know is that the day ended up being harmless. But we all have at least one story of some type of distraction in church. And sometimes those distractions threaten our safety. And sometimes those distractions threaten our sense of the sacred. For example, um, distractions that might seem to threaten our safety. Um, Maybe someone, a suspicious character, just kind of shows up. We've never seen this person before. They look suspicious. We're unsure about them. Or maybe someone intoxicated walks in and they're kind of being a little noisy and obnoxious. Uh, or maybe even a homeless person or someone that's visibly poor comes in and they're walking around and maybe they're mentally unstable. And so people get a little uncomfortable because it kind of threatens our sense of safety. And so this happens inside churches and it's, it's already happened here since I've been here. All of those examples, actually. Um, or sometimes there's distractions that, that are harmless, but they're still distracting. They they. They threaten our sense of the sacred. They, they rob us of our experience of a peaceful church environment. For example, maybe um, an elderly person might have their phone ring and they don't even hear it ringing and it just rings all the way through. Or maybe somebody actually answers the phone and starts talking, which has also happened here. Um, or maybe... Maybe parents, you know how it is. They, they're wrestling with their kids. The babies start crying or the kids start misbehaving and they're banging on the pews. And the parents are humiliated and trying to get them to behave. But if you've ever been a parent, you know that sometimes it's a losing battle. Or maybe it's just as simple as somebody is tapping their foot and shaking the pew behind you or in front of you. And it's just so darn distracting. You don't know what you're going to do about it. There's all kinds of things that happen in church that almost rob us of our experience of intimacy with Jesus. And we talked so much in the past few months about that core value of ours. We want to be intimate with Jesus. We want to have a, a, a profound, deep, personal relationship with him. And we expect the church to provide that in a way that's safe and in a way that's sacred. And then suddenly we have this other core value of ours, welcoming the stranger, and it almost seems to be in direct conflict with that first core value. What are we going to do if welcoming the stranger means that we have to sacrifice our safety and neglect the sacred? Is it possible to welcome the stranger while still maintaining our intimacy with Jesus? And if so, how do we do it and how do we accomplish it? I have to say, it's a sensitive issue. It's difficult and it puts me in a difficult position. 
because from my vantage point, I get to hear both sides of the story. I get to hear the people who have been shamed and ostracized and invited to leave church because they didn't fit in or they were too distracting or they didn't seem like they fit the mold. And I've also heard on the other side, people who come to me in all charity and sincerity, but they're wrestling because they didn't get anything out of mass because they were so severely distracted. And now some of these people feel like they can't even come to church anymore because it gives them too much anxiety and it's too distracting and it's just not a place for worship for them. So what are we supposed to do? And and that's a very heavy burden to have, to, to see that it's difficult to be a family, which we all know from our own families, but it's applicable here too. If we are to be more than a parish and we're supposed to be a family, that's hard. It's hard to come together and to be in an environment where we really are a family because sometimes our family members are really hard to love. So what are we to do? Well, I think we can learn a little bit from today's gospel. Uh, Today's gospel is a great story of Mary. It's the the visitation of Mary. who It happens right after she... Here's the angel Gabriel tell her that she used to be the mother of God. It's right after that, the story of the Annunciation where Mary conceives in her womb by the Holy Spirit and now Jesus is inside of her. And this is Luke chapter one. Immediately after that, what we see is that Mary went in haste to the hill country of a town in Judah to visit her cousin Elizabeth because the angel Gabriel told Mary that Her cousin, Elizabeth, was six months pregnant. And Elizabeth was an old lady who was barren and finally conceives of her first child. It's interesting, though, because we move past that verse, that Mary went in haste to the hill country of Judah to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. We just move past that verse, and we're ready to just reflect on the fact that John the Baptist left in the womb. And we know that as Mary gets there, um, you know, she greets Elizabeth and as Elizabeth hears the, uh, Mary's greeting, John the Baptist leaps in the womb of Elizabeth with great joy. But we rush past that first verse. Mary went in haste to the hill country of Judah. So a little bit of geography lesson for you. The Holy Land, there's a northern region and a southern region. The town called Nazareth, where Mary was when she conceived by the Holy Spirit, was in the northern region. And that region is a little flat. It's kind of like Louisiana. It's, it's just a, it's a nice, nice region. It's very lush. There's a lot of, um, a lot of crops there, but um, mostly, generally, flat. It's quite a little bit of a travel to the hill country of Judea, which is in the southern region. And that southern region, if you've ever been to the Holy Land, is a lot more hilly. It's like going to Maryland or um, somewhere up north. And these hills are no joke. Some of them are quite steep just to get from one place to another in the town. And so this is not typically an easy journey to make, especially for someone who is pregnant. It's not something that we would recommend for a pregnant woman to do, especially if she happens to be pregnant with, say, God himself. Mary actually had all the reasons in the world to really just focus on herself and to have a reasonable excuse to just stay home and just make sure that she has a safe and, and viable pregnancy. But instead, 
Mary goes in haste. She goes out of her way to serve Elizabeth. Well, we see at the end of, um, it, it wasn't said in today's reading, but it's just a few verses later, what we see is that Mary stayed for three months. So the implication is Elizabeth was pregnant for six months. Mary gets there, stays for three more months. That's nine months. The implication is Mary stayed until the birth, that she went there to help Elizabeth in her final stages of the pregnancy and to see the birth come. Mary went out of her way to serve her cousin Elizabeth, even though she had a reasonable excuse not to. And, Elizabeth, and she, uh, Mary did this because she had Jesus inside of her that impelled her to, in haste, go to serve someone else. But on the flip side, what we hear is that Elizabeth was also filled with the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth welcomed Mary into her home. In fact, when she hears Mary uh, uh, greet her, the infant in her womb leapt for joy. The implication is that John the Baptist was joyfully greeting Mary and Jesus through Mary. Therefore, what we see is that Elizabeth and John the Baptist are welcoming this stranger into their home, and this stranger is Jesus Christ. Why do we welcome the stranger? We welcome the stranger because the stranger is Jesus. Oftentimes, Jesus is in those people in our lives that are most difficult to love, those people that may be impoverished, that have made bad decisions, maybe they, with drugs or alcohol, maybe they, maybe Jesus is in the stranger of the child who is just severely misbehaving and distracting in church. Maybe Jesus is in the stranger of the elderly who can't hear and doesn't realize how noisy and distracting they're being in church. Jesus is in the stranger, especially those that are most difficult to love. And so we welcome him into this family because worship is not a private affair. Worship is a community experience. I know that we are searching for peace. We are searching for intimacy in prayer. That happens in our personal prayer time, which should happen on a daily basis, a daily basis. We should have those moments of undistracted prayer, either in a chapel, which was coming soon, or maybe even in this church outside of Mass, or maybe even at home. But when we come to worship, we have to recognize that we are a family that sometimes is difficult to love each other. And we have to face these distractions. But I do believe it's possible that we can still welcome these strangers without sacrificing our safety nor the sense of sacredness. I believe that we can still be safe and sacred while welcoming these strangers. But it might be a little difficult. So before I go any further, I want you to just think for a moment. Think for a moment, maybe a particular memory in recent memory or past where you have been distracted in church by a particular person. Maybe they were visibly distracting Maybe they were audibly distracting. Think for a moment what that experience was like for you. And then think for a moment, what did you do in that situation? People have different ways of dealing with this. Maybe some people just try their best to ignore it, just zone out. 
others try to give a little hint by just kind of like turning around. Maybe they'll notice me looking at them, and maybe they'll get the message. Maybe they give a little mean, a little glaring eye, because they, maybe for a living, they're a teacher, and they know that, the power of the glaring eye. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe they're just interiorly so frustrated, and they're, and they're saying, Lord, I'm sorry that I'm so frustrated, and they're feeling guilty about it, but yet they're so angry. Maybe they, um, after Mass, they go home, and they tell all their friends about how terrible Mass was, because so-and-so is so distracting. Or maybe they go to the priest, and they say, Father... What, what, are we, what are you going to do about it? Okay, so these are some things that we've done in the past. Here's a suggestion on what we could do. Whenever we're distracted, if the person really does look unsafe, what I need you all to do is as a group, one or two or three, well, not one, but two or three or four people, I need you all to approach them and introduce yourself, because that, what I've learned in the training of security, church security, is that that completely disarms someone who's scoping out a place to, um, to do harm. If they, because whenever they're approached, especially with warm hospitality, they leave remembered and known. We recognize them. They're not going to come back and do us harm. So if someone seems unsafe, I can't do that up here. I need y'all to approach them warmly. Introduce yourself. They may not be unsafe. And that, so instead of being harsh in the beginning, we approach them warmly. And uh, they have a good experience if they're not unsafe and they might want to come back. Uh, or if they are unsafe, then they're not going to come back either. If they are safe but just distracting, they're either noisy, they're dressed inappropriately, they're walking around, whatever it is. What I need you to do is begin with compassion. I need you to begin with compassion. We need to recognize that if they are homeless and they're sleeping and snoring in that back pew, that they're probably suffering a great deal. We need to recognize that if it's a parent who's wrestling with their child, who's severely misbehaving, we need to recognize that they chose life and that it's not easy to be a parent. If it is an elderly person who doesn't hear their cell phone ringing, we need to recognize that it's hard to age. It's difficult to lose your hearing. We need to begin with compassion, whatever the distracting is. If it's somebody who's shaking the pew because they're so antsy, we don't know if they are filled with anxiety or ADHD or something else, and we need to begin with compassion. Then we need to discern, should we do something or should we not? Because every situation is so particular and so um, unique. So sometimes we don't do anything at all, and sometimes we just embrace the suffering of the fact that it is difficult and that worship is a community experience and it's hard to love your family, but we're going to choose to love our family anyway. Sometimes that's what God wants us to do, and we're just going to offer that up as a sacrifice. The good news is that Mass is essentially a sacrifice at the altar, and so we just place that into the chalice, and we let Jesus bring that up to God the Father. Or maybe God's inviting us to approach the person with charity, to make a human connection, to approach them, maybe after Mass, or depending on the situation, maybe even during Mass. And there's a very simple question that you can ask after you introduce yourself, which is very important to do in the beginning. 
But a very simple question that can go a very long way. You say, how can I help? Four words. How can I help? For someone who's genuinely suffering and doesn't want to be a distraction, but accidentally is being a distraction, those four words, that one question can go such a long way. And it's amazing what that conversation may produce. It may lead us to some creative solutions that allow us to continue to welcome the stranger, but yet maintain the sacred. This is difficult. This is messy. This takes us out of our comfort zone. It means that we might have to be a little patient. It means that we might have to suffer a little bit. But the payoff is that we become a parish that loves God and neighbor. We become a parish that truly does desire intimacy with Jesus and welcoming the stranger. We become a parish where new faces can come in and not be ostracized. I've heard way too many stories of people that have come to me and said that they don't go to church anymore because they feel judged. Because somebody in a pew somewhere in some church gave them an ugly look or a harsh word, and that was enough to say, you know what? Forget it. I'm not coming back. And I've also heard too many people tell me stories about complaining about other people that are distracting. And there's this sense of almost entitlement that the church needs to be for them and not for others. And I understand it's difficult to be on both sides of the situation, but I truly believe that just as Mary went out of her way to serve her cousin, we can go out of our way to welcome the stranger. And the, the reason Mary was able to do that was because Jesus was inside of her. The good news is that Jesus is inside of us too. And just as Elizabeth welcomed her stranger with joy, we too can welcome our strangers with joy, with mercy, with compassion, with patience. And in so doing, a personal connection is made and creative solutions are discovered. So it is difficult, but I'm asking that we as a parish have a particular culture, that we're not the parish that is so entitled and judgmental and giving ugly glances to anybody that's new and different. But at the same time, I don't want to be the parish that's a wild circus with no reverence for Jesus in the tabernacle, and there's never a sense of silence and prayer in this church. I believe we can find a middle ground, but that's only going to happen with a little bit of creativity. And ultimately, by being filled with the Holy Spirit and maintaining Jesus inside of us. Amen.